Hello and welcome to the 4Press Podcast presented by GolfWeek.com. I'm your host, David Dusek, and in this episode I'm joined by Bethann Nichols. Bethann is a senior writer with GolfWeek, GolfWeek.com, as well as USA Today Sports, specializing in the LPGA Tour. She is an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to women's golf. And in the podcast you're about to hear, we go deep on Nellie Corda, who has just become the third American woman to reach number one on the official Rolex Women's World Golf Rankings. Quite an accomplishment for Nellie Corda. We talk about how she got there, the responsibilities, especially the unique responsibilities for women and American women who reach number one in the world. We talk about the Olympics, where Nellie is going to be joined by her sister Jess, as well as Danielle Kang and Lexi Thompson uh, in Tokyo in a couple weeks and what the, the Olympics are going to mean for women's golf. We also talk at length about the Solheim Cup, about the really interesting and unique circumstances that might keep Finland's Matilda Kastrain, one of the hottest players in women's golf right now, off of the Women's European Solheim Cup team. And we also talk about Pine Valley Golf Club finally admitting women membership. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, this is David Dusek, and I'd like to welcome once again to the Four Press Podcast, Beth Ann Nichols. And before we even get going, Beth Ann is rubbing it in my face, everybody. I, you can't see this. She's adjusting her hair, which a lot of women do when they, before they go into cameras, and a lot of men do. I don't have hair. Wow. I, look, is, look how much time you save, though. And look how much money I, like, I save on product. I mean, which That's is nice. It. There was a time when I needed product, but... <laughs> There was a time when Julius Irving was also rocking that big ABA afro going up for a dunk for, for the for the Nets. But how you doing, El Jefe? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you. Happy well, day off for the holiday. Feeling good. Yeah, same thing here. After going on the big run with the U.S. Open and then my home game with the Travelers, which, of course, let's extend that to an eight-hole playoff and yeah. have fun with that. I, I got to enjoy a week's vacation myself. What would you do for the fourth? We we bought a six dollar kitty pool at Walmart for our new puppy to play in. <laughs> it was so much fun. <laughs> new puppies are the best thing ever, but they um. So so tell people who don't follow you on social media, you got the dog, which yeah, is yeah, Molly. Actually, I have a picture of her right here. This is Molly. Oh, look at this. <laughs> my husband Ben, look my a former teammate from Florida Southern, sent me was kind enough to send me this. A frame so that uh florida southern got up before my husband's michigan state so well, <laughs> Molly's a golden retriever. <laughs> one of the one of the best things that i've seen on social media over the last i can't even tell you how long is when you came home and thankfully your husband had the, the phone going and made the video and you put it up on social of molly seeing you when you would come home finally and yes. that if there is not you know an, a better <laughs> image of unconditional love i haven't seen it but but dog when I come home, we have two cats. They could care less. They're like, oh, you're back. And dogs, it's just the total opposite. It's the best. Yes, it was the best. The best homecoming I've had in a long time. It was awesome. Well, let's get Hubs work in the kitchen with the food there for the best homecoming. But it, uh, did you catch any fireworks? We did. We did. We went to our, our downtown uh, fireworks show, which was which was short but beautiful. So it was. We finally got a stop in the rain to be able to go enjoy. So it was uh, good times. How about you? Yeah, you know what? This is the, our little bit of small town USA. There is a, a a farm 
owning sort of family in our area. I, I live in a, a little town called Cheshire, Connecticut, which is the betting plant capital of New England. So Ooh. ring the bell for that one. Um, and this one family basically puts on a fireworks show for the town every wow. year. And they throw a party, which obviously didn't happen last year for every obvious reasons. And a lot of us thought, well, maybe this will be the year that they sort of say, like, you know, we've been doing this for 25 or 30 years and giving everybody in town a show like we're just going to hang it up. But they didn't. They bring out carnival rides for the kids. And so there's a party for the family and for friends of the family and people that they know. And then the rest of the town basically goes into one of the cornfields, you know, which are or a, a field that's basically feral and just everybody camps out and watches <laughs> this fireworks display, which I put up on. So it's like the biggest, it, it went on for half an hour. Like it's just going and it's big and professionally done. And I'm very <laughs> grateful. So uh, yes, had a couple of pops, had a couple of burgers, watched fireworks. It was the kind of stuff that Norman Rockwell would have been sick. <laughs> it was, it was great. Loved it. Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah. So golf does not take a break. Obviously they were playing lots of golf. The LPGA tour has had, Lots of things going on that we're going to talk about here on the pod. Um, since you and I last spoke, we have a new world number one for <laughs> the women, which is which is exciting. Nellie Corda has ascended to the throne, has become the the first, well, she's just the third, I believe, American woman to, to reach that point. Uh, 22 years of age, officially becomes the number one uh, on the Rolex Women's World Golf Rankings after winning her first major, which is the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Third woman to do that. Three wins, eight top tens this year. Um, it's pretty safe to say that she is, from a golf perspective, playing the best out of any, any woman on the planet at this point. Would you agree? I mean, yeah. You couldn't argue with what you saw between yeah. Meyer and and the KPMG. And, and what a turnaround from the U.S. Women's Open where, where she missed the cut and, you know, went home rather dejected and and – you know, had a boot camp with, as she calls them, Papa K, <laughs> Peter Gorda, her father. And, yep. and, and that boot camp of, which really was about structure more than anything, giving her what to focus on and, and structuring her, her practice sessions. Uh, she came out guns blazing and, and it was a dominant performance. It was, it was breathtaking at times, especially on the par fives. <laughs> How, well, yeah, I, how surprised were you, just to sort of peel it back a little bit, how surprised were you going into the U.S. Women's Open Olympic that she missed the cut? And how surprised were you that she was able to bounce back, relatively speaking, and, and get her first major championship basically within the span of a month? I, I say I'm very surprised at both, to tell you the truth, because, you know, you, you had such high expectations for both quarters going into to the Olympic and and then, you know, after that, you kind of wondered how she would rebound. OK, well, mm -hmm. is, this, is this more a mental thing than anything? You know how, you know, because she's the best player in golf to not have a major at that point, you know, and how much is that really weighing on her? Because obviously the talent's all there. It's just a matter of of getting it done. And so you thought, well, gosh, how, how long is this miscut at, at, you know, the one everyone wants the most, the U.S. Women's Open? You know, how much is that going to set her back even more, you know? Mm -hmm. And then just to watch what she did at the Meyer, Then you thought to yourself, well, when she won earlier in the year at Nona, and all she talked about was how tired she was and how she didn't understand how do people win back-to-back? -back? How do they do that? Props to them. It's so exhausting. And you're like, wow, well, what's this going to be like then, you know? What's she going to yeah. do going back-to-back -back into a major? And and she said in her pre-tournament press conference, she felt like she'd been hit by a Mack truck or a semi-truck or something. And 
Why why is that? I mean, yeah. she's 22. She's she's really fit. Um, right. I would think she's at the height of her powers. If if you're going to be able to do this, which obviously people have done, now is the time, right? Yeah. I mean, you I you have to chalk it all up to, I guess, emotional exhaustion, right? The amount of 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 mental and emotional energy it takes to win a golf tournament. And and I and and she she figured out how to to hit the refresh button, I guess, for yeah. lack of a better phrase, in order to to be able to, to obviously do it because she she looked as strong as ever when she finished on Sunday and 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 you know Nellie and Lizette really separated themselves from the rest of the field. That golf course was really difficult, but it they made it look easy in a way. And so it's it, you kind of you really had to put in perspective exactly what she was doing when you looked at what the rest of the field, you know, was in relation to the two of them. Did that golf course set up for her just simply better, do you think, than Olympic did? Or was, did she give off any clues or give any information away as to how she was able to mentally be more ready for this one than she was, in hindsight, ready for the U.S. Women's Open? You know, I think I, she had some golf shots at Olympic that she turned to her caddy and she said, have you ever seen this from me before? <laughs> so <laughs> so I think, yeah, Olympic was an anomaly. You know, it wasn't, it, it, it wasn't vintage Nelly Corda. So, you right. know, to be able to just put that to the side, refresh and, and come back out at the mire, which she did. And, and, you know, clearly was, was, you know, hitting on all cylinders there. Um, you know, it says a lot. So, uh, and then, of course, Jin Young Ko comes the next week, the player who had been number one in the world yep. for 104 weeks and and wins, you know, right away in, in Texas without her A game. You know, so I think um, Jin Young just needed a little bit of motivation and maybe yep. a little release that, yep. wow, I was carrying a lot of pressure being number one. And, um, and as she said, I'm number two and I'm still alive. So it's, everything's okay. <laughs> well, it's, it, yeah, it's interesting that I think once you get to a certain level, and obviously these women are amongst the elite players in golf that, that, that we have, um, it is an underappreciated fact, and I think that you'd probably agree with this, but I'm, I, want, I want to hear your point on it, mm -hmm. that the difference between the, the very best, say the top 10 in the world, and the ones who are 50th, 70th, whatever, down to a certain level, really isn't that much. But the mental strength and will, I mean, call it what you sort of want or you want to call it, um, yeah. the fortitude is is the thing that I, I think is the last club in the bag, proverbially, that, that you have to learn how to use, when to take it out, and when to call upon it. And players either learn to do that or don't. And some of them, it just takes a little longer to, to sort of get it. Maybe we're start, starting to see that with Nelly. When you get with Jin Young Ko, that's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's she mentally gets a new goal. I want to reclaim number one. I, I want to do whatever. And she's good enough to do it. Um, I think that there is an underappreciation, now that I'm finally getting back to the question to you. Do you, do you <laughs> think do you think that most people outside the ropes and who watch golf on television appreciate that it's not nearly as much of a physical difference shot to shot from between the players, but the mental part of the game, which a lot of recreational players just gloss over like, yeah, whatever. Okay. Mentally, like, I want to hit the ball. Well, that's huge. That's like the biggest part of this, isn't it? Oh, a, a thousand percent. I mean, especially when, you know, you get to being number one in the world or on the, on the cusp of it. And, and the, the question is, do you really want it? 
do you want all that comes with it? I had a long conversation with Grant Wade about Patty Tabatanica, and he calls her a reluctant star <laughs> in hmm. the sense that, you know, she she doesn't want all of this attention. Yeah, she wants to win tournaments. She wants to succeed. She wants to achieve all of her goals. But she also wants to be over in a corner by herself <laughs> doing her own thing. She yeah. doesn't. You know, she doesn't necessarily want all this adoration and, and, and all these, you know, media interviews and everything that comes along with being number one. And, and you know, you have to accept that and you have to roll with it <laughs> if, if that's really what you want, you know. And, uh, and so it's been different for different players. Once they, once they achieve number one, adjusting, figuring out if I want to stay there, if, if I can get back there, is it worth it? You know, even Stacey Lewis saying, I've been number one in the world before. I know what it takes. I know the toll that it takes and it's no longer my goal. That's, that's, I know, I know the amount of, yeah. of dedication that it takes and, and, and she doesn't want it anymore. And, and, you know, she wants to win tournaments. She wants to win majors. She wants to be a mom. There are other, uh, you know, other big things to, to, to grasp, but, but what it takes to be at the very top, you know, it, it there are so many ingredients that go into that. And, yeah. uh, but you're right about the fine line. I mean, we look at someone like Matilda Castron, who, you know, was ranked outside the top 200 earlier this year and, uh, and has won a title and, and contended again last week. So, um, you know, it can happen just like that. So there's a lot of meat there that I really want to go over. The first thing it, it sort of reminded me as you were talking about it is that, um, I had an opportunity years ago to interview Boris Becker, which for me was really special being a tennis guy. And we were chatting. And one of the things that he said about, because he finally got to, to number one in the world after he won the U S open in 1989, he beats Yvonne Lendl in this epic match. And he gets to number one. And I talked to him about that. And he, he looked me in the eye and he said, in order to be number one, you have to do something kind of special. And I'm looking at him and he's like, you have to be good enough to understand how to play the game and stupid enough to think that it actually is the only thing that really matters in your life. The talking about the, the level of selfishness that you have to have the level of dedication that you're putting so many things off to the side in order to achieve this goal. And he got it. He wasn't number one for very long because I think like some of these other athletes, they get there and they're like, okay, like this is it. And some of them are able to mentally shift gears and be like, okay, now I want to defend it. And I think tiger had that. And I think that Norman had that. I don't know if Nicholas had it or not. He was just so damn good that like no one's going to catch him. But but there has to be this mental shift. And some people automatically want to do it and some people don't. Um, I was also then just reading last weekend, Sports Illustrated does these great things over July 4th about the where are they now. And they did Pete Sampras, who wouldn't even give the interview. He's so um, you know off to the side about his stardom. And it's just what you were describing. It's like he he wanted all the things that came with the game. He wanted to play and he totally loved playing. He did not love the trappings that came with being the world number one. He did. He would have been very happy to have played on side courts and tonal anonymity, win all the titles, but not have the press there, not have the fans there. Not that he didn't appreciate people, but that's not why he did it. And it's it's okay to be that way. And part of the job is, is being number one. And now once again, I'm coming around the mountain on this. Um, I would argue, and I'd like to hear you agree or disagree with this, that being number one in the world for women has a bigger toll mentally than being number one for the men. And the reason why I say that is that I think that there is still the thought conscious or not that the world's number one woman, especially if she's an American like Nellie, that she has to go above and beyond to wave the flag for the LPGA tour 
to try and do more things to try and grow the stature of the tour, grow the stature of herself as a brand. What, what are all these different things? Whereas we have a new number one in the world for the men with John Rahm. I don't hear anybody saying that he has any duties or obligations or whatever. He may do a late night talk show or not. He may do this or not. Um, would you agree that, that there is in some ways some extra baggage for the woman, especially if she's an American woman, when she becomes number one that, that she has to take on? You know, absolutely. I, and I think she doesn't have to be American. Um, you know, you look at Aria Jutanagarn, first player to, to win from Thailand, first player to win a major, first player to become number one, all of these things. She's, you know, had a movie made about her. <laughs> she, she literally is an icon of sport in her country. And so she might not feel it quite the same in terms of the pressure from the tour, but she's feeling it from home. Whereas an American becomes number one and definitely should be feeling it from the tour. <laughs> because as you say, you know, this looking at this as, as the catapult to the next level for the tour. And it certainly was that way for Stacey Lewis. And, and she didn't even come from, you know, the, the court of family background to have all this, you know, extra with her. So Stacey Lewis, for example, when she became number one, you can look at Stacey Lewis's logos on her, on her, her body at the time, on, on her hat, on her bag, on her, on her person. And, and you can see how they became personal Stacey Lewis sponsors to, LPGA tournament title sponsors, KPMG, Marathon, Pure Silk. There was a direct correlation between an American being number one and investment in the tour as a whole. So, you know, I definitely think that this is something that we hopefully will see with Nellie Corda. Uh, just in terms of blue chip sponsors, people that might have been on the fence before about whether or not they wanted to invest in the game and saying, you know what, I really like the direction where the tour is headed. And and that's not anything against the international players who have been number one. That certainly has happened in their countries as well. When right. Yanni Sen becomes number one, the LPGA all of a sudden has a, an LPGA event in Thailand. Same thing for mm -hmm. you know Mexico when Lorena's number one. This this yep. happens everywhere. So is this uh, fair? It's time for America to have its turn. Is that fair? I mean, all of a sudden, like you was you know, regardless of your age, Nelly is twenty two. Okay. okay. Lorena Choa, I apologize. I don't know how old she was when when she reached number one. When you know some of these other players were reaching number one, but you've worked as an athlete for so long to achieve this goal. You get it. And now, in addition to whatever stuff like I just talked about, you know, maintaining it and trying to fend off and trying to win championships and consolidate that. Now there's this sort of you know obligation that you're talking about. There's the marketing aspect that comes into it if it hasn't already. Um, is it, is it fair to, to put all that on somebody once they sort of achieve this thing on a computer ranking? Fair or not, it's just reality, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, in, in terms of where the LPGA is and where it's trying to go, uh, and, and the fact that I would consider it both a burden and a privilege, right? Um, yeah. Especially if you're the first in your country to, to do something. Um, you know, what an amazing achievement. And, and yeah, a lot of burden comes along with that. But you know, if you're Sari Pak, you're you're an icon forever in in South mm -hmm. Korea, and and even though you know Nellie Korda is not the first number one, and she's only been number one for a week, uh, you know, it's been a while. It's been a long time since 2014 that America 
has had a number one player and look how many new fans, new golfers have come into the game since then um, and, and will come into the game that, that she, she, for a lot of people is the first, <laughs> right? So, um, so I think that's, you know, it depends. It's all about perspective and, and your team helping you see, see it in a certain light and not just as a burden, but as an incredible privilege and opportunity that you have to really leave a mark and build a legacy in the game. And I think that, you know, having the right people in your ear, helping you to constantly see it that way. Um, certainly would would help, <laughs> and that's where I think older players come in as well. In terms of, you know, it's like a Stacy, you know, like a like a Beth Daniel, like a Julie Inkster, like a Nancy Lopez, you know, coming in and saying, you know, this is what it was like, you know, for for me and for our generation and what we were able to accomplish and and how we did it. And and yes, a lot is different now, but but a lot isn't. <laughs> Yeah, well, is is so you're reminding me, you know, Spider Man said, "With great power comes great responsibility," and if you can get to that position, so the Olympics are going to be starting up here relatively soon. We've got the four women that we know are going to be representing the United States: uh, Nellie Korda, Jess Korda, Danielle Kang, and Lexi Thompson. Um, now being the world number one, how important is it that Nellie medal? Ooh, um, honestly, I think any American meddling, when you look okay. at who those who those four are, if Lexi medals, it's a huge deal. If Danielle medals, if Jessica medals, you know, it, it doesn't really matter who it is. I think it's going to be uh, a, a big thing for the LPJ. And it's interesting because we had this conversation, several of us did at KPMG in the media room about, you know, what gets more play, you know, winning, winning a major, winning the U.S. Women's Open versus winning an Olympic gold medal. And I kept going back to the fact that you're going to be sharing the stage with other athletes, male athletes as an Olympic gold medalist, how important that is. Because at the Olympics, as Judy Rankin said to me earlier this year, you know, I think it means so much to women because it's one place where women and men are put together on the same pedestal, celebrated the same way. You know, they're on, they make TV appearances together. You know, they're on the Wheaties box. You know, it's, yeah. it's so very similar to men. And so if you have, you know, a, a Nellie Corda or a Lexi Thompson with a gold medal draped around her neck, standing next to, you know, the, a great Olympic swimmer or, or track star, you know, or gymnast, it's, it's it's elevated so much more because after Nellie Corda won the KPMG Women's PGA, she rose to number one in the world. And I don't know if it was her decision not to go on any other shows or do anything else, but we didn't, we didn't see her after that really. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not like she made a, a media tour or did anything to really, you know, um, keep that, keep that talk and momentum going. Um, whereas if you look, if you win an Olympic gold medal, that's going to happen. Yeah. It's, um, I think it would be great. It would be a fantastic, certainly for golf, all of us. If you get somebody, for example, like Nellie Corder or Lexi Thompson posing for a picture next to Simone Biles, who is already, you know, being touted and is going to come out of this Olympics as the biggest star going. If she gets a gold medal, then it's, we told you so, look at this. If she doesn't, it's an enormous story and it'll be all over, you know, every, every show going. I hate to say that golf needs to hitch its wagon to those kind of things, but wherever we are put as a sport in with the biggest stories from sports on the planet, it can be nothing but a positive thing. And, and I think it, it would be great. I, I would look forward to sort of seeing it. I will definitely look forward to seeing 
those women walking through during the opening ceremonies. And if we get the shot of the four of them walking next to Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, Bryson DeChambeau, like, it'd be fantastic. It'd be, as you're saying, one of the rare times when we get equal footing, equal billing, and potentially every bit as much an equal prestige coming out. If Nelly Corder wins a silver medal, that's a huge deal. That's a really big deal. And whoever wins the gold medal, kudos to them. And that, that's fantastic. I've I've been, a lot of my buddies who I talked with over the fourth, we were asking me about the Olympics because obviously it's getting pumped up all over the TV and stuff like that because we're finally getting to it. And they were asking me about the importance of golf. They're like, well, why do we even have it? Like we've got the Masters, we've got the US Open, the British Open is coming up. And I said, it's really much more about the long play, like 20, 30, 40 years from now. The players who are stars now yeah, it'd be great. And I'm sure that they would love to win a gold medal or win a, you know, whatever, be, just experience it. It's really much more a play for countries where golf isn't a big deal yet. They, where we've, You've got to think in terms of decades, not years for this thing, because once it, it can take hold, if you get enough compelling stories, if you get someone who by miracle or whatever is able to put up a good showing from a country that otherwise for a 72 hole stroke play, you know, they're not going to qualify for the U.S. Open but they can get into the Olympics. That's a huge source of national pride. And it may not mean much to us because we grew up wanting to win the U.S. Open, wanting to win the Masters, wanting to win you know, the KPMG or whatever it's going to be. For these folks, it'd be enormous. And um, I, I, I'm looking forward to it. I, I'm excited. I'd love to see amateurs. We can get into match play. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, Solheim Cup will be the next big one after that where we're going to have team competitions. Really interesting story that you've been following up on on golfweek.com. Um, the Solheim Cup being at Glen Eagles this year at the beginning of September. 12 players recently went to Georgia and were with Captain U.S. Captain Pat Hurst for basically a team building exercise. And I love that kind of thing. I think it's hugely valuable in team sports for people from individual sports to bond together, to become a team, to get to know each other off the golf course or away from the playing fields. Several players, though, did not attend that, especially as many notable big-name American players. Two-part question here for you. Number one, what do you think of the team-building type of events, and were you surprised that some of the big-name players opted not to stick around and attend this uh, this event over at Reynolds? Yeah, so it was right after the KPMG. It was an easy, uh, easy jaunt from Atlanta uh, to Reynolds, uh, and, you know, it wasn't golf, right? So they did everything but play golf. You'll, you'll remember that the drive-on was held at, at Reynolds O'Coney um, last fall. Uh, but instead of golf, they they did archery. They did distance darts. Apparently, Jennifer Cupshaw is very good at distance darts. Brittany Altamara, Jennifer Song excelled at archery. <laughs> um, of course, Amy Olson is a stud at pickleball and apparently everything else she tries. And... Stacey Lewis revealed that uh, Michelle Wee convinced Angela Stanford to jump into Lake Oconee fully clothed. <laughs> so it sounded like a good time was had by all uh, for those who attended. But as you say, um, you know, several top six Americans um, did not attend. And, uh, you know, yes and no, I'm being surprised. Um, you know, there's always some folks that, um, for whatever reason, um, aren't able to attend the, these sorts of things. But um, but for that number, for, for six of the top Americans not to be there, um, did surprise me. And I do think it's really important because, you know, those are all veterans that, that didn't come. And and this 
this session is is for the rookies. It's for the newbies to to get to know uh, the established players and and feel like they're a part of the team, even if even if they don't make the team. So that when you know it's it's finalized for Toledo later this this year this summer that you know it's not you're trying to get to know your partner the same week as you're trying to do everything else that comes out the Zoheim Cup, which is a jam packed week and a pressure packed week. And the last thing you want to do is is feel like an outsider um, at that you know at, at, in, in such an important week and and not you know feel like you're thrown thrown into the ring into the deep end. Uh, you know, without a clue. So I, that's why they don't play golf because they want to get to know each other outside the golf course. They want to concentrate on, on, on building relationships. And so you can't do that when, when folks don't show up. So I'm sure, you know, everybody had their reasons. Uh, but especially at this time when, when COVID has put a damper on players, even be able to go out to dinner with Pat Hurst or, or their, their potential future teammates, uh, this this time was important. So, um, but for those who did, who did attend, I understand that it was a great success, uh, and and I'm I know they were they were glad to actually pull it off given all the restrictions that they've been under for for such a long time. It sounds like a cool gig to me, and I was taken when I was reading your story about Stacy Lewis was there talking about how they were trying to pass along basically the an appreciation for the LPGA tour for women's golf for what they now have. And she was saying, and it was the effect of like, look, you know, they may not realize how good they've got it. Mm-hmm. We do you know, at her right. generation, because this is what was instilled in us. And we're trying to pass this along. It seems like a missed opportunity. And it seems like, unfortunately, something guys would do that, that, <laughs> that there've been many cases where, I think they're getting better at it. You know, to, to be fair, Jim Furyk had a bunch of guys over. I want to say about 20 potential Ryder Cup guys came to his house the last time they were leading up to the Ryder Cup. And it was, you know, easy because he lives right there in Ponte Vedra. And we get this great picture of, you know, 25 guys all standing around, having barbecue, getting to know each other. And I am a massive believer in team building, having a valuable part or being a valuable part of all team competitions like this. I, mm-hmm. I think it's so much more than just going out and playing well in singles, which is what you know how to do in match play. Pairing up and having trust and having faith in each other mm-hmm. where you don't feel like you have to say sorry if you hit a bad shot, whether you, where you're growing a team mentality, which is rare for these players once they get outside of the collegiate golf experience, for them to remember mm-hmm. what that's like, for there to be a level of selflessness where you're working towards a better, a bigger thing. And if that means you sit, you sit and you cheer on your teammates. You become, you know, a, a part-time assistant captain. Whatever needs to happen, that's what being in a, a team is about. And hearing that a greater number of the women are opting not to go to a team-building event, and you're right, there's, there's a million reasons why someone might not. Like, hey, I've had this one corporate thing that was assigned to me way before. I, I can't get out of it. This is the reason why, and Pat Hurst, I'm sure, is going to be very diplomatic and be like, okay, I understand. We'd love to have you here, but you have a conflict. Okay. Mm-hmm. Some people may not be doing whatever it is, but it is troubling a little bit. It, it is a little bit like, yeah, you know what? This is the way the guys did it 20 years ago. And they've been getting their asses handed to them in Ryder Cup for basically <laughs> the last two decades. Maybe we need to change things up a little bit. Um, one of the other fascinating stories that's going on in women's golf right now re- revolves somewhat around... Solheim Cup. Uh, Matilda Castron recently became the first Finnish golfer to win an LPGA Tour event. 
mm-hmm. as you had mentioned a little bit before here in the podcast, she's ranked, you know, in the 250s, 260s. It's a huge win. She nearly wins last week uh, once again on the LPGA Tour. She is not eligible to play Solheim Cup for the European squad. Can you give people a little bit of a reason why that is and this really weird predicament she is in <laughs> being one of the hottest women players right now going and, and thankfully for the U.S., yay us, like she may not play for them. I know it's wild. She's the only European player to have won so far this year on the LPGA Tour, which makes it even more interesting. Yeah. Uh, so so Matilda is not a member of the LET, which is, is the reason why she, she can't um, make the team even as a captain's pick. She's not eligible for Katrina Matthew to select. So, uh, you know, this is obviously done to protect the European Tour so that players – the best players from Europe, uh, you know, join the tour and and, and play in, in, in a certain number of events. Uh, so so it's understandable why the rule was in place. Uh, you know, you wonder now that and the European Tour is in partnership with the LPGA, uh, and you wonder because it's a COVID year and we didn't have things like Q School uh, last year. If if potentially, uh, you know, they could make an exception. Um, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So Matilda will have to win a co-sanctioned LET event in order to qualify for this year's team. So she's going to Finland after this week's Marathon Classic. She'll play in, in an LET event in her homeland. Uh, she'll, that will be one of four opportunities that she has on the schedule to win to, to make the team. So uh, the, the, the Grant Open in Finland, the Evian, the, the British Open, and the Scottish Open are the four co-sanctioned LET events that, that would, would get her in. Uh, interestingly enough, Sophia, Sophia Popoff would be in the same predicament, uh, but she won the AIG Women's British Open, which is a co-sanctioned event. So she is good to be on that team. So it's a, it is a, an unusual situation, to be sure. Um, but what a great story. Should she win in her home country in Finland, return home, win, you know, that would be pretty amazing. So, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that you you get it, but you're like, eh. It doesn't <laughs> feel right, though. I mean, that's the reason why it's, it's so compelling is that this is one of those instances where you think, okay, we want to have the best team that we can field. Now, the player right. needs to be European-born, um, you know, needs to obviously be good. But even with a captain's pick, I'm shocked that – She's not able to do. Is there anything that you think could happen? Is there, is there any mechanism or any committee that gets together and says, like, look, you know, we, we, we want to feel the best team. Um, this woman, let's say that she gets top three at the Women's British. Right. Let's say that she's like runner up this week in Finland. I mean, obviously, she's playing amazing. We need to have her. Why would we not want this? Like, this is, this is what we want. And a great player playing hot. We're, we're, you don't think that there's any chance that that they just like go into a back room and be like, "Hey, look, we need this woman <laughs> on this team. Let, let's let's fudge this a little bit." Ah, uh, doubtful. I, yeah. I I genuinely don't think it'll happen. Um, I think they'll say this. You know, we need this role to protect our tour. Um, I I think they could do it because of COVID. And I see, that's the thing. It's like if they, if there would be a year when you could fudge things around and people would give you the benefit of the doubt, this is it. Next year they won't. This is it. I know. I, I I would love to see them do it and 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 you know say that, but um, I I you know I don't I just don't see it happening. I mean I well it'll be interesting. 
it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. That's, and if she wins, and what if she wins this week? What if she wins the marathon classic? She wins. She could win another tournament. That doesn't help. <laughs> hey, you know what? Fly the stars and stripes, baby, because if she's not going to be there, then that's going to be the best thing that can happen maybe for the American team is you get a hot European woman player who's not eligible because of understandable technicalities and, and, right. and uh, rules be rules. I get it. And and golf is nothing if not all about the rules. Um, <laughs> I just kept reading the pieces and following this along and being reminded of, of the, the state of Will Zalatoris on the guy side, where obviously because of COVID – Everything was sort of frozen. He's not a PGA Tour member yet. If he has, you know, one or two more halfway decent starts, which he's proven he's more than capable of doing, he would otherwise have enough points to go to the Tour Championship. The world opens up to him. His world ranking, I haven't looked in the last couple of weeks, but he was inside the world top 30, yet he was not a PGA Tour member. Therefore, lots of things weren't open to him. It was, it was goofy. It's yet another reason why COVID sucks, is that none of this was the case. If uh, if if we didn't have that, one of the um, the last thing I want to talk to you about, Pine Valley. Mm. You ever played it? I have not. <laughs> I know I, you're not surprised. <laughs> I, well, no, I I just simply because of my gender would have a greater opportunity because it, for a long time was women were only allowed to play it. I guess on Sunday afternoons, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, but Pine Pine Valley Golf Club, which is basically the number one ranked golf club golf course on the golf weeks, you know, list. Um, Annika Sorenstam will now be one of three female members of the Pine Valley Golf Club in New Jersey, joining amateur champions Sarah Ingram and Megan Stasi. Uh, the club let its membership know basically last Friday that they were going to start having some female members. And as I mentioned before, the very private Pine Valley is the number one ranked course on golf week's best classic courses list for layouts built before 1960, and it is the highest rated course of all Golf Week's best databases for courses around the world. Um, it's 2021. It still every once in a while hits me that there are men-only golf clubs out there. I get that they're private clubs. They have, in many cases, a right to have you know, their own rules and such like that. Does this feel like a significant story to you? I mean, if it's not Pine Valley being the number one course, is, is this a bigger deal? Then, then maybe it feels to me, or, or what? What is this story for you? Um, I, you know, I definitely think it. It's one of those where you have the dual. It's about time, you know, mm -hmm. what took so long, but I'm glad it's happened. Response, you know, <laughs> so yes. so you're, you know, I, I I'm definitely in the uh, finally what took so long camp. Um, I think my mind goes to tournaments, <laughs> I mean, which is yeah. where I went first. You know, can we get a Curtis Cup there? <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, get. I I, I think that's. Um, I, I you just you just can't overstate the importance of it. And I look at Muirfield hosting an upcoming AIG Women's British Open and and what that means to the women's game. Uh, it's funny. I wore my um, U.S. Women's Open hoodie home from. Uh, on my last trip and I was in the airport on the tram and, and a guy said, Oh, who, who won that? That's a great track. Cause it says Olympic <laughs> really, really large at the bottom of the hoodie, you know? And, and, and I was like, this is just a prime example of, of why venues matter so much and why nice. women getting to not only compete on, but belong to the best clubs in the world 
is so important to the growth of the game. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see the first step taken at Pine Valley. And I hope that uh, to, to really show us that they mean business, that they, that they host a women's event, because I think it would be awesome uh, to, to showcase women at, at the best, you know, course in the country. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I don't think the membership of Pine Valley is interested, all due respect, in hosting a smaller middling event. I think that if they're going to do that, they host one of the big four. The big four being the U.S. Open, the U.S. Women's Open, the U.S. Am, the U.S. Women's Am. Um, getting a U.S. Open out there, a U.S. Women's Open, excuse me, um, around 28 or 29. You know, we've got, I think, the next four or five that are, are mapped out. And there's been a lot of talk, and you and I have spoken about it, about a rota and the importance of courses and venues. And Olympic was massive. And... I know that you know you've you've helped me to learn why Lancaster is going to be big, but but Pebble Beach will be a huge U.S. Women's Open. That will be epic. The idea of taking the U.S. Women's Open to Pine Valley, if that were to come off, would be seismic because that's someplace where the men haven't been. I agree. I don't I don't know the infrastructure. Having not having been there, <laughs> I don't know the infrastructure of whether or not they can. I don't, I don't, I don't know if they can, if they have the, the I, I, I don't, I haven't been on the grounds either. And there are a lot of things that go into making a big championship work besides having a wonderful golf course. You need that first and foremost, where are you going to put hospitality? Where are you going to put, mm-hmm. <coughs> excuse me, all different kinds of infrastructure thing. Where do people park? Where do you shuttle them in from? Is there an airport where people can get it's South Jersey, Philadelphia, basically. So yeah, I, I, that part, can be done on the grounds and in the, the the surrounding like five miles. Do they have enough stuff? Things you would never think of, like is there a gigantic shopping mall or parking lot where we can park three to five thousand cars and bring shuttle buses? The stuff that has nothing to do with golf, but everything about running a golf tournament at scale. Um, I hope that they really exhaust themselves looking into that stuff because, as you mentioned, it would be massive. It would be fun. Um, yeah, it would be great. Any other courses or any other places that you think of? The only the last one for me that I'm still surprised is holding out. And I know that there are more than one. But um, to me, you know, l- looking at around the places that are like, oh, well, I- I'm surprised it's still holding out. Um, out on Long Island. Oh, my gosh. Why is it escaping my mind? Um, no, Shinnecock has female members. If I, oh, I thought we were talking about hosting a women's open. <laughs> oh, no. It's, you know, this is my, my, my rambling going on and stuff like that. It, it'll come to oh my gosh. Um, it's one of our, it's one of the Golf Week's best classics. Um, oh, my gosh. Garden City. Excuse me. Oh, yes. Garden City would be another one. I have played Garden City, and it's men only. And I, I, I appreciate the fact that private clubs should be entitled to somebody to do what they like. Mm-hmm. it's 2021. Like, I, I don't think this is a big deal anymore. I just don't. And, yeah. it, you know, maybe I'm just burning up my, any invite that I'm going to get to get to play Garden City again. <laughs> it was magnificent. Um, but it's time. It just, yeah. it just is. Like, we can move past that kind of stuff. What's, uh, what's going to be on the docket for you the rest of this week on golfweek.com? What should, we, what should we be looking for from you? Golfweek.com. Well, we've got the Marathon Classic this week, so we'll be, we'll, we, I, we'll, we'll be covering that. Um, and uh, and I'm, I'm working on some some Olympic stuff this week. I got an Emma Talley story coming out soon. 
Uh, nice to see her her getting back into form after chasing distance for a while, lost her swing there, and uh, has, has, has found it again, the former USAM champ and NCAA champion, so uh, certainly a popular player. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of things in the hopper, Dusik. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good thing. We'll be looking for that stuff. We'll be looking for more pictures of Molly. We want yes. video of Molly. Molly. Um, we, we can't get <laughs> enough of that. Is she going to have her own Instagram, like uh, Elvis the, Elvis the Lab? Folks have called for that. I don't know if I don't know if I'm, I'm going to. You'd hardly use yours as it is anyways. Now you want a pooch to have one? She'll outdraw you and then you'll be embarrassed. You'll never <laughs> I'll just turn mine into Molly's. <laughs> there you go. All right. Beth Ann Nichols, thanks very much for being on the Forward Press. Thank you. <laughs>